Welcome to our next voyage on T-10, the show with 10-minute takes on the future of education in healthcare. I'm your host, Tim Fitzpatrick. On today's voyage, you'll hear from Dr. Eric Gantwerker, a pediatric ENT at Northwell here in New York, who also serves as VP and Medical Director at Level X, a medical education gaming company acquired by Brain Lab in 2020. Level X is advancing the practice of medicine through play. They create video games to help providers improve their clinical decision-making skills. They already have more than 1 million users and have partnered with 30 out of the top 40 life sciences and med device companies, including Medtronic, J&J, and Boston Scientific. Their fifth and newest game is called Top Derm. It was developed with 140 dermatology experts. So I asked Eric more about his role as medical director, what goes into managing his partners, conducting market analysis, and choosing their next specialty areas. Eric has taken a non-traditional path to get where he is today, including going back to school for his master's in medical education, where he focused on learning technology and simulation. If you're interested in cutting edge of medical education, Eric is one to know and follow. I loved his final frontier and already have my copy of his top book recommendation. Check out the show notes to find the rest of his responses, links to the Backtable Innovation podcast that he guest hosts, and even ways to start playing Level X games on your phone today. Without further ado, please enjoy my deep dive on medical education and gaming with Dr. Eric Gantwerker. Eric, welcome to Team Minus 10. I appreciate you joining me. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Uh, I am I'm psyched to to dig in with you. You're someone who also now is podcasting, and I've had I've really enjoyed listening to Backtable. I, I want to dig into an area that... Um, that I think is unique about your job and that we don't talk about a ton on, on the show. And uh, frankly, I think your, your role, your position at level X is fascinating given who you get to work with. And in particular, the reason I'm wearing this gift from my nephews today, uh, this NASA shirt is when I think about your partners and the exciting announcements you've had uh, as of late at level X, I'd love to hear you talk about first kind of your role, of course, but then in the context of, how you manage such an interesting and vast partner network from industry to, to the academic centers like NASA or Loyola, for example. Yeah, I appreciate it. You know, we are very fortunate uh, in our position where, you know, we're able to get technology at the forefront of what we do. And a lot of the partners that we're looking for, obviously everybody's looking to innovate and everybody's looking to do new things. But I think one of the things that sets Level X apart is really our ability to create really hyper-realistic physics-based models and technology. It doesn't just look good, it feels good. And I think one of the things that has really given us a leg up in this area has been that, as well as our ability to pretty much be omni-channel. We're a software company. We can integrate with any hardware. We can do VR, we can do AR, we can do proprietary hardware. We can do anything. Mobile obviously was where we started, web-based now that we have cloud gaming platform. So I think our omni-channel presence allows us to go to partners and say, you don't need to buy a head-mounted display. You don't need to do this other stuff. We can do that as well, but really, this is sort of a increased access and potentially decreased cost way to do it. And I think when we go to partners and talk about that, they sort of understand where we're coming from and the ability to make really high-end, high-fidelity and physics-based models has really been sort of our, our hallmark and our level of quality. But, you know, when we go to partners, we, just like anybody, we really try to really understand what their problem is and we are consultants in a way. We're not really trying to force anything on them because we have all the technologies 
at our disposal. We have all the different game types and game mechanics at our disposal. And we really try to tool the solution to the problem. And in that way, we're a consultant when we come to those partners. Amazing. I, um, a few things really stand out to me. One, I love the idea of approaching the problem and asking questions. And I want to give you a chance to answer a question you asked a couple of years ago on your show with Shiv around Project Evergreen. Um, I'd love to have you answer that. But I also think it's it's really fascinating, you know, your transition at Level X from mobile to the platform and how much access is has been a challenge and an obstacle for companies traditionally. That you know, if I'm remembering correctly, that was a huge part of your decision initially on going the mobile front. So I'd love to have, give you a second to kind of also talk about why it's so important, especially in innovative technologies, uh, to to think about more of that consultative sale and understanding the challenge and the pain points. Yeah, I mean, early on, you know, we knew, and when Sam started our company, he came from the mobile games industry, and his dad is an anesthesiologist, really provided him the opportunity to create a proof point technology that was the precursor for what became Level X and specifically Airway X, our first product. And really early on, Sam, just on a whim, said, you know, if I upload this to the App Store and I put it on mobile, then people don't have to download it onto their individual devices. And just that that access was really paramount to what he thought about. And that just-in-time training and all the micro-learnings and everything we're talking about now are facilitated by having the technology that you're viewing in your pocket at all times. And now that everybody carries a smartphone, you know, he was he's a visionary and he was, you know, 10 years before his time, you know, thinking about these types of things. You know, even the cloud gaming platform, when we hired our CTO from AWS, we already had our cloud gaming platform that was already in 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 production essentially before COVID hit. You know, so like it was like we were just in the right place at the right time and just had forward thinking people. And I think we're very fortunate just the level of talent that we have at Level X. For me as a clinician who's sort of coming into this from my perspective, you know, we have hospitals that are still faxing documents. I literally got an email yesterday about the process to do something was to download it from the internet, fill it out by hand, scan it, uh, fax it so that they could scan it and put it into the computer. And I said, is this 1972? Like, what, what are we doing here? And medicine has just been so slow with developing and adopting technology that that's been sort of my frustration. And we'll, we'll get into that a little bit, but it's sort of coming to that end where the game developers on our teams and the engineers know all the newest technologies, right? They just got back from the game developers conference and saw all the new cool things. And then medicine is like, yeah, we're good. You know, we'll dabble in it, but we really don't want to invest in it or adopt it. And honestly, when you talk about partners, institutions are one of the, and hospitals are one of the hardest partners to work with. Because of that mentality, you know, they want proven technologies. They, they sort of go back to the old ways of doing things because innovation's hard in medicine for a variety of reasons that you know better than most about how technology gets adopted. Some of the more forward-thinking partners that you mentioned, you know, like NASA and SpaceX and all these other companies, they understand the role that technology can play in advancing the way that people learn and the way that people practice medicine. And I think those are the partners, obviously, we love working with because they see the vision, they understand where we're coming from, and they understand what our technology can do. For other partners, it's very difficult to convince them what we're trying to do and what's going on under the hood that they may or may not see or understand is going on. Amazing. This is 
So I appreciate you digging in, and I certainly resonate with the challenges of of getting that across adoption and, and communicating the value. I this brings me to kind of two two questions that are are definitely related, and I'd love to have you talk through. One is how to think about designing outcome studies so that you can show those stakeholders who might have who might struggle to see adoption or how this innovative tech fits into their workflows how you think about those outcomes. And then the second piece of that, if you want to take it here, is you mentioned, I think you have up to five games, maybe more at this point, different areas. When I know part of your role is thinking about needs assessments, going into new markets. Um, as you design outcomes, you get more outcomes, you learn more from your, your partners. How do you, what factors go into kind of considering what could be next in your pathway? Those are really two awesome, awesome questions. The first one I'll take is um, how do we think about outcome studies and the term efficacy studies, which is not necessarily a great term, but really looking at outcomes metrics, right? And so how do we prove that it works? We have good evidence in the literature that games work. We know that games transfer skills. We know that they transfer a variety of skills. I always show this anecdote about this kid who was in a car with his grandmother. His grandmother had some kind of medical emergency and the kid was able, I think he was eight or nine, he was able to pull the car over onto the side of the road safely and await for EMS. And he knew because he'd been playing Mario Kart. So like this idea that that games transfer, it's it's pretty much accepted at this point for many people who understand the power of games and learning. But the Level X story and how Level X games work is the same problem we have in all of educational intervention and specifically medical education is how do you show the proximal outcome of a patient outcome tied to a specific educational intervention? That is an extremely hard thing to do regardless of the technology, regardless of the intervention. Uh, so in, in us, like, you know, if you teach somebody how to, how to check an A1C every three months, when they first start medical school, how do you know in eight years that patient outcomes are going to be better tied to that specific intervention? It's really, really hard, and those variables are difficult. So instead, what we often do is we look at sort of the intent to behave that way, right? If you have the knowledge, you put it into practice, and you're checking A1C every X amount of times, we assume that the patient outcomes are going to be better because we know that A1C checking on a regular basis may improve patient outcomes. So we look for those proxies. And with Level X, it's, it's, it's proving that steps uh, that we've taken and all the data that's been generated. So, you know, we've had, uh, as an educational purist, I always feel like a lot of studies should come from outside the institution. You know, it should come from outside PIs. And so we've relied on outside PIs to run studies. And we have studies in a bunch of our different what we call our core game. So Airway X, there was a, a study looking at improvement in intubation time and confidence and skill. You know, we looked at our PalmX and our interest in uh, anatomy and pulmonary uh, uh, pulmonary anatomy and interest in going into pulmonology or interventional specialties. We just had a, a third party study that came out about our dermatology game, which was one of our first knowledge-based mechanics. And it showed that practicing clinicians actually did better on clinical scenarios after going through our education. And again, if you think that if they can do better in a clinical-based scenario based on the knowledge that they just learned, you assume that the next step is to show that that behavior actually is in action at the bedside, and then from that, that patient outcomes improve. So again, it's still a, a large hurdle for whoever's doing it, but we are really taking steps towards that. And that idea of knowledge retention, knowledge transfer is really the level that we've achieved, and we're really looking forward to, to doing more. 
Um, your second question is uh, needs assessments and how we approach partners. So again, you know, one of the things everybody wants outcomes metrics, and so even when we go to outcomes metrics with our potential clients and partners, it's really thinking about that upfront. Like, what are we trying to achieve? What is the you know, behavior that we're trying to track and how can we integrate that into not only the game, the assessments and the outcomes and prove, you know, return on investment essentially for, you know, time and, and energy. When we go to any potential partners or clients, there's a multifactorial assessment as to how we're going to approach a particular problem or a particular partner. It has to do with sort of the technologies that we're trying to invest in, because that's really core to our business is investing in technologies and creating those technologies to use in other use cases like ultrasound and things like that. The second is, is obviously the business opportunity. Can we scale this business? Can we, you know, create a, uh, a product line based on this uh, business, because at the end of the day, we have to be sustainable. We have to be scalable in order to provide benefit to the healthcare community and ultimately to patients. Uh, and then uh, as we go through that process and understanding what their specific treatment area is, if it fits within our existing treatment areas or where we're interested in going, those are sort of the multifactorial things that come into mind. And can we engage other partners in that same space? Right. So those are sort of the things that we uh, assess as we go through different partners and clients. And obviously, you know, uh, we do a lot of grant based business. So that was what we did with NASA and Trish, you know, SpaceX, you know, the IPF Foundation. We have a bunch of different partners that we've worked with in the past that, uh, you know, we, we did through grant work. And so, you know, we, we also look for like-minded people, right? So we want to work with partners who see the vision. They understand what we're trying to do and they get what we're trying to do. And they're a pleasant partner to work with. I think um, I, I love this idea of, of how you go through your design process, right? You have the outcomes, you have the behaviors, you know, that at the very minimum, that's what you, you need to address, but then mapping it against considerations around how you actually incorporate in the workflows and then measure ROI. I think that's something that's often missed. You know, I'm, we're still in very early innings at Icona, but a lot of early, early founders who are now discovering the power of AR, VR, thinking about medical education applications um, are running into this and realizing, okay, zero to one, it's more about proving out that there's something here. And then everything you just described, which is one to N and you know, figuring out how much that expands within each vertical and then what the next one most compelling use case could be. So I appreciate yeah. you breaking that down. Yeah. And the last thing, the last thing I'll just mention on that is you're right. So there's obviously the reactionary, do people like it? You know, is it fun? Is it interesting? And I think a lot of people have sort of achieved that level and sort of that learning and behavior level is sort of the next level and ongoing. We, you know, we aren't just in those five core areas when we work with our partners and clients, we're in a bunch of different treatment areas as well. And so we have these ongoing different types of studies to look at different use cases, you know, case studies about working with different partners and different clients. And then we also have our core games that we're looking at. We have all this data that we're constantly massaging and we actually input that data back into our games to change our games based on the data that comes in. And I think if you are not a learning organization and you're not taking that data and putting it back into the system, then you're really missing the mark. I think as a, you know, I'm fascinated by platforms, just like personally, I, I love Everyone knows Hamilton Helmer and Seven Powers, but recently he started talking more about platform changes and the two step changes, one, finding product market fit, and the second, obtaining and capturing power. And I think your approach to being able to actually capture that, yes, it's it's something that I imagine any learning organization that embraces those values should do, but 
so few do it. You know, a lot of people think about content as a one-time creation is a cost center and not a uh, money maker. And how how wrong that is when it's viewed in the lens of what else can you do with the data you're you're generating, the things you're learning, and how are you applying that to to you know build the virtuous cycle and, and get better outcomes out in the future. Uh, absolutely. And, and Cardio X was our prime example of that. When we launched Cardio X, it was, you know, an eight to 12 month investment to build the platform. And that built out about 20 cases. In a week, we were able to build 20 more cases because again, we invested in the platform and we made it scale. And then when we launched it, we got data back that there were certain levels that people were just not getting and they weren't passing and they were having, they were spinning out. And so we immediately went back into the game and changed that level so that people would have a better experience. And you have to understand how that data is going to inform design and create that cycle where it does get back to the right people to make those decisions and make action. And then again, watch as the outcomes come out, just like any PDSA cycle or quality cycle. You, you mentioned earlier, you've done a lot of your work, most of your work is provider facing and you yourself you know, as a clinician, as a physician. Uh, what other opportunities, you mentioned patient education, where, what other types of areas within your broad experience and expertise across medical education do you think are either underappreciated or have been overlooked where maybe similar applications and approaches are just kind of waiting to be discovered or waiting for the right company or people to start kind of asking the right questions and, and doing some of what you've already done in all the areas you've mentioned. Yeah. You know, one of the things we've realized as we work with different partners and clients, there is no dearth of opportunities and needs. Everybody comes to the table with their needs. And the question is, is what solution best fits that problem? And again, when some people come to us and they say, oh, we want a VR game for X, Y, or Z, we delve into that and say, okay, why do you want VR for that specific use, or why do you want games for that specific use? And we don't believe in the technology for technology's sake. And I think as you go through this and think about all these different use cases, these problem areas, you have to understand what is the least costly solution and increases the most access to that solution at the time that they need it. And definitely games and VR and all these other solutions fit into that paradigm somewhere. And the problem is always, where does it fit? And I think one of the things that we've starting to see for a lot of different things is people are still using a little bit for technology for technology's sake and not really understanding, for example, for psychomotor training and surgical training, I'm still trying to understand what things can be learned asynchronous before they ever get anything in their hand from a surgical standpoint, because there is a lot of dis, uh, judgment, decision-making, analytic skills that come into there that are all knowledge-based. Those don't have to have the instrument in hand to learn those things. And then once you get into an opportunity to do synchronous remote training, what things can be taught that way using either, you know, if you want the, the metaverse or VR or what have you at home live in the same environment, and then what needs to be predicated on synchronous in-person training, which is by far the most costly, the most uh, least accessible. And in some cases they are predicated on chance which is how medicine was taught for many, many years, was it was predicated on experiential learning that was based on chance. And the things that technology can do is they can take chance out of it. We can generate those cases. We can create those environments so that you have those high-risk, low-frequency type events. And that's where simulation has fallen in. But I think now we have more advanced technologies to solve those problems. I think you brought up patient education, which is a huge area. And one of the things that we're starting to realize also is the purview of the clinician is no longer s remains within the clinic and within the hospital. 
You have all this biosensor data, all of these wearables, all of these opportunities to get data from the outside the clinic space and from daily activities, from shopping, you know, any number of things that you can generate data from. And the question is, how do you integrate that data to improve patient outcomes? And I think that is the huge opportunity that we have right now is information management, that data management and understanding the behaviors that we can change using technologies. And I'm not talking about like, you know, giving people badges for walking 10 miles, you know, I'm, I'm talking more advanced than that. And I'm, I think we're still trying to figure out where these technologies fit into those spaces and understand which is best use case. And I think patient education in VR is, is good for certain things that, that need it. And I think the platforms that we have available to us, including all the different large language models, which we may or may not get to, you know, under, understanding how people are going to be engaging with information is going to change drastically. And, and AI, you know, if we have time to talk about it, AI is here yesterday and is changing day by day and meeting with our own faculty at our medical school and asking them about what their stance on AI is. And everybody's like, I've never used it. Let's just avoid it. You know, let, you know, you're, that's a, that, that time has flown by. Like, it has. yeah. Well, I'm, I'm excited to hear you talking about it. I think this, this is a, a great way to, to kind of wrap up here. I want to give you the final frontier, which is our now uh, standard five questions in 50 seconds to wrap things up here. Uh, all right. First, first question, what do you think is a top challenge you're seeing in your work today? Awareness. Awareness. Great. How about top opportunity? Personalization. Amazing. Tech trend you're most excited about? I mean, it has to be, it has to be AI in all of its forms, but obviously the large language models, we're really trying to understand how those are going to fit. And even at the medical school now, we're talking about it. So definitely the AI, machine learning, computer vision, and especially large language models. Amazing. Uh, top media recommendations, podcast books, anything along those lines? Ooh. Uh, so I always say my top book is James Paul G and it's a digital literacy, uh, how games teach digital literacy. I'll give the, uh, the actual link in the show notes, but it changed the way that I think about how people learn and how games can be involved in that learning process. Amazing. Definitely read that one. And then lastly, uh, healthcare or tech leaders you're following these days. Ooh, where do I start? <laughs> um, as you want. An easy one. Yeah. So I, I've sort of like, you know, all the people who are in the VR space, you know, I'm very interested in just how their, how their journeys are going, you know, Justin Broad and, and Danny Goyle and all those folks and all the fundamental VR uh, folks as well. You know, Rafael Grossman and Bertalan Mesco, you know, sort of those uh, healthcare futurists. I look to them to sort of see some of the things that are really being talked about at that level. And I really look to them and, you know, fortunately I, I talked to Rafael a fair amount and, you know, he's just on the, on the cutting edge of everything and he knows what's going on. And I really appreciate his insights and everything, especially coming from a, from a fellow surgeon. It's, it's really good. And also somebody who is still doing clinical practice while also living in this world. He's definitely somebody I look up to. Amazing list. Uh, some that I certainly follow as well. Really exciting. Eric, I really appreciate you joining me on T10. It was awesome catching up, hearing about everything you're working on and obviously hearing your differentiated and take on views on your world and, and kind of what you see as the future. Thanks so much, Tim. I really appreciate it.